You're listening to Faith and Fostering, the podcast where people of faith chat about foster care in the Australian context to encourage, edify and educate others along the journey. Hi everyone, great to be with you again today for another episode of Faith and Fostering. It's Heather with you today and uh, we are going to be having another devotion I wanted to have a look actually at Revelation chapter 3 and from verse 14 and um, I'm actually going to be probably in Turkey by the time that you hear this and um, and so I've been doing some tour notes because I'm running a, um, a tour for a group of people to go and have a look at um, biblical sites and all of that kind of thing across Turkey and Greece and Israel and um So I've been writing some tour notes and just um, reading back over these letters to the seven churches of Revelation. And the one that stands out for me today is the letter to the church at Laodicea. And um, this is what it says in Revelation chapter 3 verse 14. It says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and soul to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they will, and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we get, this is the final of the seven letters to the seven churches, actually. And um, we get this warning, essentially. What's really interesting about this one is that um, throughout the letters, you actually get um, some that are given commendations and warnings and others that are given just commendations. And this letter is only a warning. And, um, And it's a really interesting one, you know, to focus on because... I think it says so much. The fascinating thing, I guess, to be able to put through a grid here for us is to recognize that it says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. This is what the Lord is saying to his church. And yeah, he was speaking to the church at Laodicea, but as John writes again and again throughout these letters, as he's um, dictating these words from the Lord himself, um, he keeps saying, let whoever has ears hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So these are words that are written to the church at Laodicea at the time, but they're also words that are written for us down through the ages and down through the centuries to heed and to recognize. And um, what was going on with this church at Laodicea is that uh, it was in this kind of trade route section um, of Asia Minor at the time, which is modern day west coast of Turkey, and uh, quite close to Colossae, uh, Colossae and um, and Hierapolis. And uh, the three cities were kind of connected together because they were only just a few miles apart from each other. But um, at Colossae, there is a stream still down the bottom of the mountain there where Colossae is meant to sit. It hasn't actually been excavated yet. 
Um, but there's a stream at the base um, of Colossae and that it has pure mountain waters. It comes from this pure mountain spring. And um, and then if you sort of head the other direction over to Hierapolis, uh, you actually find these mineral salt springs that um, bubble up through the water, uh, through the, the mountainside there and then trickle down the side of the mountain. And there's beautiful kind of salt terraces down the side that look magnificent to look at. But um, the key thing about Hierapolis is that the, these mineral pools that start at the hottest at the top and then get cooler as they cascade down the mountain, they come from this um, this mountain spring, um, natural hot water spring that then cascades down the mountain. And people would come to um, Hierapolis at the time so that they could bathe in these waters because they were full of mineral salts and these amazing kind of... Um, uh, enriched minerals in these pools and sort of the, the hotter that you could get or the hotter that you could stand, um, they would create this healing property that came directly from the springs. And um, and you can still go into them these days, but they are, they're a bit more managed kind of these days. But um, the springs in this area, uh, these hot springs were known for these healing properties as you know, natural hot springs are known all over the world for these healing properties. And um, so essentially what's happening here is that you've got um, Laodicea, which is close to Hierapolis with its hot springs and close to Colossae with its cold spring down the bottom of the mountain. And Laodicea didn't have its own water source. And so essentially what was happening was that the Romans created these, uh, as they were building these cities, the Greeks and the Romans were building these cities, they created these aqueducts that would then uh, have water flow from nearby Hierapolis and nearby Colossae. And by the time that it got to Laodicea, it was going to be lukewarm. And so as Jesus dictates these words through the pen of John, as he's on the island of Patmos in exile, um, he is directing them to this city of Laodicea and saying your water is lukewarm but worse than that you are lukewarm and then he kind of gives these reasons why Uh, he's essentially saying that they are self-sufficient they don't even realize that they're naked they don't even realize that they have any needs at all Laodicea was one of the wealthiest cities of the Roman Empire at the time the wealth of the city was attributed to it being on a major trade route Um, but it was also known for its fine black wool trade um And so it was kind of this banking center. It was a trade route. It was known for this rare black wool. Um, And so they they were wealthy. And when the city was struck by an earthquake in 60 AD, the Laodiceans refused financial assistance from the Roman Empire and rebuilt the city themselves. They were a proud, wealthy people in this city. And, uh, And they had this sense of autonomy. Now, when we kind of look at it now, we can you know, down through the ages, I think one of the important things for us to recognize is wealth in and of itself is not a bad thing. Um, You know, Jesus says the love of money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say money itself is. Money is an inanimate object and it can be used for the glory of God or it can be used for uh, to take our heart away from him and to direct us away from him. And essentially what he's saying to this church here at Laodicea is, you have allowed your wealth to make you half-hearted. You've allowed your self-sufficiency and your autonomy to make you half-hearted. 
And these guys had been a a church that was established um, under the ministry of Paul. Uh, We don't know that Paul ever actually went there himself, but it was certainly established under his ministry from people that he was raising up and uh, training into pastoral ministry and church planting ministry. So they had been a church that had been established for some time. But after this period of time before John writes this letter, maybe a couple of decades, three or four decades, they had become lukewarm. And uh, and so John has to write this letter um, or pen this letter from Jesus to this church. It's really interesting. He says to them, you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And so he's saying, he says, you say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and I don't need a thing, but you are wretched, you're poor, you're pitiful, you're blind, you're naked. And so this this indictment against them is not so much that they have done anything wrong, it's that they've allowed their heart to be captured by um, affluence and to actually pull themselves away from the Lord because they're not dependent on him anymore. Now, why do I bring this up in regard to a foster care ministry and a foster care podcast? I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that as much as um, foster care is hard, as much as caring for kids who are not our own um, is difficult and there are challenges and we certainly need help, what we can tend to also do is recognize that the agencies, the department, um, the government Often what tends to happen is that these agencies and these departments throw money at the situation because um, they're not able to connect with the child in a way that the family can. And so for us as God's people, we need to recognize that money is not the answer. Uh, Wealth and affluence is not the answer. Having the resources is helpful. Absolutely. All of those things are helpful. But none of those things are going to help us engage with what the Lord has called us to. In this situation with the the Laodicean church, the Lord had called them to a ministry. But first and foremost, in order for them to be able to succeed in that ministry and to change the the, uh, culture of the people around them, to bring people to Christ, that bring people into a saving understanding and knowledge of God himself and of the gospel, they needed to be connected with the Lord more than they were connected with money and resource. Money and resource in this instance was taking their heart away. And sometimes I think what we can do without even recognizing it, without even realizing it, is we can allow resource to be our port of call. And we look at that and we go, if only I had this or if only I had that or if only I was able to establish this or that or the other thing in in the sense of resource or finance or whatever, then this situation would be sorted out. But what ends up happening is that we end up becoming self-sufficient and we end up becoming autonomous from the Lord. What he wants us to do is to recognize when he's given us a call, he wants for us to rely on him, to come to him first and foremost, to be dependent on him and not dependent on ourselves. And that was really the warning for the church at Laodicea. The other really interesting thing about this um, this whole passage is when we talk about lukewarmness, you know, we, we can read this passage and we can think to ourselves, oh, yeah, he says, because you're lukewarm, you're not hot or cold, I'll spew you out of my mouth. So there's kind of a sense that we might think to ourselves, oh, um, he's basically saying, I want hot, passionate Christians 
or I want cold, unpassionate Christians. And um, he doesn't want something in between. And that's not actually the way that it's meant to be read. Really what he's talking about here is the effectiveness of the water. So um, in as I was saying before, the water in Hierapolis, was it had healing properties. It was hot. It had healing properties. It was full of mineral riches. And, and so it was useful for healing. And the, um, the water at Colossae was cold. It was mountain spring. It was pure. And it was good for refreshing and hydration and sustenance and all of those things. Um, actually just nourishing the body. Well, Jesus says, you know, in, in John chapter 6, I believe it is. Uh, it might be 4. John chapter 4. When he's talking to the um, the Samaritan woman, he says to her, I, I am going to give you living water. I can give you living water. And so if we sort of follow that through, follow that symbolism through, the water here that the Lord is speaking about to the Laodicean church, he's not talking about um, just the temperature. He's also talking about what the water can do, the usefulness of it. So not only were they half-hearted because they had become self-sufficient, um, they were also, they had lost their usefulness because um, lukewarm water is good for nothing, really. Um, but hot water is good for healing. And this cold, pure water was good for hydration. He's essentially saying, I wish you were either hot and healing people or cold and pure and hydrating people. I wish that you were doing one of those things, that you were useful in one of those areas, because at the moment you're neither of those things. You've got this blended kind of mix and and you're not doing anything and you're simply just relying on yourself. And um, and so really when we when we kind of break it down and you look at it through that lens, um, it helps us to recognize what the Lord has called us to and give us a little bit more of a focus and an idea of what he asks of us when he calls us to something. He's essentially putting before us this call to spread his living water, to actually engage in a way of being a vessel of living water to those around us, to those in our care, but also to those around us, to those who we come in contact with, whether it's through agencies or pretty much any other place in life, that we would be the ones who were given the living water of the Lord and that we would be able to impart that to other people. And in this um, description of the Laodicean church, he's essentially saying living water can be water that provides healing and renewal and comfort and this kind of sense of the, just the muscles being re- reinvigorated as you sit and you steep in this hot healing water. Or it can be water that is refreshing to the soul. It's hydrating. It gives you water of, sus- of sustenance. It helps to um, invigorate you and keep you going throughout life. The living water of Jesus, the living water of the Holy Spirit should be one of those things or both of those things, but it shouldn't be just this half-hearted thing. And so essentially what he's doing through these through this narrative is he's calling us, his people, to a place of being healing and of being nourishing and sustaining and hydrating, that that's what we're called to do. I find that to be such a massive challenge. Because then when I think about my own life and the way that I respond in so many difficult situations and so many different situations, I, I can start to see it through a clearer lens because I recognize the Lord is actually saying to me, I want for you to be someone who brings healing. 
I want for you to come into every one of these situations and recognize you are a vessel of my Holy Spirit. You're a vessel of the living water that the Lord has placed in your heart. And therefore, you can bring and you can provide healing. Our job as um, people of God, as, as followers of Jesus who have been called into foster care, is not to continue the status quo. It's not for us to to bring kids into our care and just simply give them three meals and a roof over their head and hope for the best. Our job as and our calling as people of God, as followers of Jesus, is to come into those situations and to provide healing, to actually allow the Spirit of God to bring healing and wholeness and change and a hope and a future, to never settle for this is how it will always be. To never agree when we're told, oh, this person can never shed their um, trauma, um, that they'll never be able to rise above it, that they'll never be able to succeed, that their developmental delays because of all of these things, they will never be able to get above and beyond that. But rather to see, no, actually the Spirit of God is one who provides healing and I'm a vessel of the spirit of God I'm a vessel of the living water of the Lord and so therefore healing can come through me and I'm going to I'm going to fuel my faith and my desire rather than allow my senses to be dulled by the resources around me by the affluence around me by all of the talk around me that tells me there is nothing more for these kids the Lord sees so much more for these kids And he's asking for us to be the vessels of his living water. And not just healing, but then also the other side, this refreshing, this the power of sustaining that somehow through this refreshing, pure water, mountain spring water of the living water of God, that we would recognize that we are able to sustain and nourish and help flourish those these kids in our care as they are going along their journey of life that part of it is about a healing journey but part of it is also just simply about a sustaining journey in a world where hope is just getting depleted where fear is on the rise where kids are giving up so much quicker and so much easier because they just find life too hard for us to be the ones who are saying no I'm going to sustain you. I'm not going to allow that thirst to continue any longer. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to show you what it is to drink in the living water of the Lord and find a reason for hope in life. This is what the Lord is calling us to, not just the Laodicean church, but us all these years later as well. Then he says this famous passage here at the end of the um, At the end of the letter, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This this verse is so often just kind of grabbed, taken out of context. And we talk about, you know, if people want to come to Jesus, then he's already standing and knocking at the door of their heart. But this in context is actually speaking to the church. He's saying, I'm standing at the door of the church and knocking. I'm standing at the door of a half-hearted people of God and knocking and saying, will you let me in? And that for me is, it's, it almost sends shivers down my spine to imagine that he's speaking to his own people saying, can I come in? 
I don't ever want to be in that situation. I know that many times in my life I probably have been. I mean, if all of us are honest, we would, we'd have to say, yeah, there are times when the Lord is on the outside and we haven't let him and we don't even know that he's out there knocking. But he's saying, I want to come in. I want to be a part of this. When I think about this in the context of our, our call in foster care, you know, it just makes me realize how desperate the Lord is to be a part of absolutely everything. He wants to be a part of those mealtimes. He wants to be a part of those arguments. He wants to be in the midst of it, in the midst of the traumatic moments, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the meltdowns, in the midst of all of those things. He stands at the door and knocks and anyone who opens the door, he will come in. He will come in. And maybe today just needs to be that reminder for us that as he stands there and knocks, we just need to invite to say, Lord, where are you in the midst of this? I want to even recommend to you that even in the midst of those chaos moments, and if you can, if you can step back for a few moments and just allow your, yourself space to breathe, allow yourself space to meditate for a moment, just even to step back out of that meltdown moment and say, Lord, where, where are you right now? Where are you in the midst of this? And even see if he can give you a vision of himself where he is. He might even give you words to say. He might give you a response to be able to know how to respond in a moment where you might have a a natural human response, but he gives you a far wiser, godlier one. He might show you that he's actually got his arms around this child that you're so desperately trying to love. He might show you that he's he's off in the corner and he's watching because he's waiting to be invited into the midst of it. But sometimes even just having a, a vision or asking him for a vision or a picture of where he is in the midst of a situation can totally change our perspective on the way we respond. And it just this this letter to the Laodicean church just reminds me of that because it just sounds like he's saying, I, I so wish that I could come in. You know, you're my church. You actually proclaim my name. You say you love me. You say that you're worshipping me. But in reality, I'm knocking on the door saying, will you let me in? Because I'd like to actually be a part of this. I don't just want to be someone who you talk about. I actually want to be in the midst of it in an intimate and tangible way. And, and for us to remember that even especially as life goes on and day to day, the challenges, the, the different things that we face, it's so easy for us to get completely caught up in what is in front of us, what we can see in front of us, what we can feel in our soul right now in this moment because of what's happening tangibly in front of us. But I believe there is so much power and so much change to be had if we would be people who would step back for a moment and say, Lord, where are you in this? How do you want me to respond? How can I see you in the midst of this situation? And can I have your leading, please? Because I believe that he wants to be right in the middle of it with us. He says, I will come in and the, and I will be, I will eat with them and they will eat with me. I will be with you. And then he says to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. You know, he reminds us because of this beautiful heavenly vision, and especially it's about to go into even more of a heavenly vision after this letter, because this is the final of the seven letters. Um, He really is explaining to them, there is so much more after this life is done. 
You're going to work. It's going to be hard. There's going to be chaos. There's going to be challenges. And there's going to be amazing breakthrough and incredible reward. All of these things happen in this life. But I don't want you to forget there is also a life beyond this. And I want for you to sustain your energy and persevere and make sure you make it to the end with an outlook that says, I have a a God, I have an eternal God who has prepared for me something beyond this life as well. And so I just want to leave you with that today. I hope that it helps you just to kind of recenter today and um, just remember that the Lord is with you in this. He hasn't called you to something to do on on your own. He hasn't called you to autonomy. He's called you to reliance and dependence on him. And he loves reliance and dependence on him. He's not a fan of autonomy. He's not a fan of just relying on just the resource and what you can find around you and what you can do by your own hand. He's not interested in that. He says, rely on me, abide in me. He says, walk by the spirit, live in the spirit, make sure that you are doing everything in conjunction with me. And that's how the world has changed. And that's how lives are changed. And that's how we get through this ministry and these calls. He doesn't leave us on our own. He wants to be with us. So I want to remind you today, we are praying for you. We are so um, grateful for you, for what you are contending for, for what you are doing for for the Lord, for what you are doing for the kids of this nation. And um, yeah, so keep at it. And I'm just going to pray for you as we finish. Father, I want to thank you so much for the people who are faithfully giving of themselves across this nation, the way that they pour their heart and soul into what you have called them to. And Lord, I know sometimes we just we grab hold of the reins because it's the easiest thing to do in our humanness. And yet you always call us with your grace and your mercy, you call us back to yourself, which is the safest place to be. You know, I think about your your the words that David talked about in Psalm 91 when he said just to rest in the shadow of the Almighty and just to rest under your wings. And so, Lord, I want to pray that over and declare that over the people who are listening today. Let them know your presence. Let them know your goodness. Let them know your mercy. Let them know your direction and your guidance, Lord. And I pray that as they step into those moments and they ask for you to come in and to be a part of that, Lord, that you would be loud, you would be clear, you would be profound, and you would show them new glorious ways to do what you have called them to do. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with me today. I genuinely hope that you have a wonderful week and uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, let's remember, every child deserves a family.